two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there held insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The crucifixion, this is the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Thank you, Steve. There are um, two tables tonight, one in front of me and one behind me, and I'm going to invite us to respond tonight uh, in two ways and in two different stages. So we'll begin here. Uh, Amy and I uh, celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary uh, last week. I know I don't look old enough, you don't have to say it, uh, but it was great just to have a chance to, to look back over those last 21 years together, and I think she promised me at least another 22, so we're going to keep going uh, for 22 more years. Uh, but when you first meet somebody and start dating, start falling in love, you, you think you know somebody, and then you live together in marriage. And love might be blind, but marriage is, is a real eye-opener. I know when we first got together, Amy and I had, had very different ideas about what we should watch if we went to the, the cinema or stuck something on the TV. 
You know those things called romantic comedies, which I don't find to be particularly either. Uh, that would be her particular taste. And I remember her asking me once, uh, what, what should we watch tonight? And genuinely, I suggested that we should watch Gladiator because I thought there was some sort of romantic thing going on in that. She had to explain to me, that's not a romantic comedy. And over time, you, you learn, don't you, as you live together, there's things that you wouldn't suggest watching because you know the other person wouldn't, and vice versa. And being human, this is something that we do throughout our lives, isn't it? We filter. We mask. There's some things that we tell everybody. There's some things that we tell a few people. There's some things we don't tell anybody. And the truth is we get really good at this. We do it very, very instinctively. If we're really honest, there's things that we would do or say or laugh at or share quite naturally that we would never do in a church. And it's not that we've got to think about that. We've just got so natural, haven't we? It just becomes instinctive to hide certain things, to, to mask certain things. And we do it because we feel like it, it protects us. We do it because we feel like it, it guards us. It's interesting. In a moment, we're going to share in the meal that Jesus shared last evening with his disciples. And there's a lot of masking going on around this table. Jesus explains that one of them will betray him. And one by one, all the disciples say, surely not me. Including Judas, the one who had sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Surely not me. Not just not me, but surely. You can't be talking about me. There's things that we do, aren't there, that we don't want to do in Jesus' presence. That we can't actually, that when we entertain them, when we do them, we have to somehow pretend that he's not there. Ignore the fact that he's an ever-present God. And part of our heart is hidden. Part of our way is, is disguised, is concealed from God and vice versa. Or we get into a situation and another motions take over. And we don't stop to ask the Lord what he would do, what he would want. We've got this. We know what to do. And we go blazing into situations. Which in the cold light of day, we would sit in front of the Lord and say, surely not me. Jesus tells them that actually all of them are going to abandon him. And one of them, called Peter, says, Lord, even if everyone else abandons you, I'll go down fighting at your side. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus looks at him in love and says, Peter, will you really? This very night, you're going to deny three times that you know me at all, let alone that you're my follower, my friend. See, for Judas, there was something that he deliberately masked. With Peter, there was a hidden weakness. Not even he knew what would happen that night. And we're the same, aren't we? There are hidden weaknesses. Things that we do in the heat of a moment and the next day wonder, what, what was I doing? What was I saying? In the reading that we just heard tonight, there are two criminals that are being crucified on the same day as Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And one of them just takes the opportunity just to shout abuse at Jesus. Can't you do something about this? Can't you save us? But the other one reaches this point of honesty, and I guess towards the end of his life, that honesty was hard to escape. He says, I'm getting my just desserts here. 
but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus didn't try and make it hard. He didn't try and make it complicated. He just saw that simple faith and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, if I hide my sin, if I push it down, even so far that I can't see it myself, that makes me worse, that makes me sicker. But if I will bring it out into the light, if I will give it to Jesus, he offers me hope, he offers me forgiveness. I'm going to ask you now to do something brave. I'm going to ask us to come and write on this simple cover that's covering this table those things that we often try to hide or those hidden weaknesses that we've fallen into, fallen prey to. Some of us are already thinking about those things and it wouldn't be hard to name them. For some of us, that might be an old thing that we just want to thank Jesus. That old battle, that old struggle is no longer part of my current walk with you and I want to write it down to own that journey and to say to you, you've done this and I thank you and I praise you. For others of us, there might be a current struggle and I'm going to ask you to represent that in whatever way you want to, to put as much detail as you're comfortable to share. You might just want to write my sin or my shame or my weakness or my failure. If it's too close, if it's too personal to share, please feel free to do that. But in whatever way we can, let's come and bring these things into the light because in the light there's hope. In the light there's healing. Nothing grows in the dark. But in the light of his presence, Jesus can speak his forgiveness, his freedom into that. So I'm going to pray together and then a piece of music will play. And as and when you're ready, I'm going to invite you to come and let's fill this sheet with all the things that we normally hide. Jesus once said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so often we hide our sickness, but he's able to cure. He's able to heal. So we bring these things to God in Christ Jesus tonight. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us the courage, that you would grant us the grace, and that around this table you would meet us in our honesty, in our frailty. As we've already been thinking, you are only holy and we are only human. And yet in your cross we see our only hope. So release us, Lord. Release us tonight from shame. Release us from the baggage we carry. And free us from the masks and the screens, the covers, the veils, the smiles, the performance. Free us tonight to walk with you, Jesus, in honesty and openness. In your name we pray. Amen. Some of you will know instinctively, immediately, what it is you want to write. Others will want to sit for a while. I want to invite you, as and when you're ready, let's come and bring these things into God's healing light. Thank you for doing that. It's not easy, is it, to 
see it there, to, to write it, to somehow step apart from it. And, and there it is, all standing before us like a dividing wall. All the reasons that we tell ourselves why God can't fully love us or use us. All those things that in our better moments cause us grief and anguish and shame and pain, hanging like a curtain before us. In the temple in Jerusalem, some of you may know, there is a, a huge curtain that stands, the temple is divided up into numerous different sections. There's the outer courts, there's the inner courts, and it's all to do with who you are and what status you are as you come. And then within the inner courts, there's a place called the holy place. Inside of that, even, there's another place called the most holy place. And it was there that the Jews believed that God's presence somehow dwelt on earth. It housed the Ark of the Covenant, which itself housed the Ten Commandments and some of the bread that God provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness, the manna that was kept in a golden jar. And inside, on top of this Ark, there were two golden cherubim. And the people of Israel understood that God's presence somehow presided over the cherubim. And so as you came to worship at the temple, there were a series of, of sacrifices to enter but there was a place that you would never enter, the most holy place. One person would, the high priest would, on a festival called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It happened once a year, and that high priest set apart his life for a whole year to be as holy, as clean as he possibly could be. The people used to repent for 10 days leading up to it. The Orthodox Jews still fast for 10 days, praying, God, forgive us. God, cleanse us. And then the high priest would enter into the most holy place. It was so holy that special bells were sewn into the outer hem of his garment so they could hear that he was alive and walking around in there as he sprinkled the blood from the sacrifice on the altar of incense. There was a rope around his waist so that if he died in there because he was unclean, unholy in any way, nobody would then have to enter and they could pull him out. This is the most holy place. And on the day that Jesus died, as he is hung from the cross, suspended between earth and heaven, he looks from the cross and sees the temple where a special gathering, a different type of gathering, the Passover is happening where people are seeking freedom and healing. And from the cross, Jesus cries, Father, forgive them. Jesus cries for us. And then the Bible tells us that this miracle happens. This curtain, which was 30 foot wide and 60 foot high and four thick deep, four inches thick deep, gets torn from the top to the bottom. And the way is open. The sin is erased. And we enter now into the fullness of the promise of the healing of God. This is Easter. 
you're invited, you're welcome, you're forgiven, you're restored. A while back, a a friend of mine that I was in college with uh, sent me a book in the post, and there was a very simple note with it that simply said, once you've read this book, would you ring me and tell me what you think of it, which was quite unusual. It was a book by Richard Foster called The Sanctuary of the Soul. Uh, And towards the end of that book, it's a great book, but I was thinking all the way through, why did he ask me to ring him when when I'd finished it? Right at the end of the book, he explains his purpose for writing it. He says there was a season in his life when he was writing a different book on prayer. And in order to do that, he went to stay at this college and read everything he could on prayer. He said probably in the time he was there, because they gave him a special room to do this, he read over 300 books on prayer. And he was trying to write, and he was getting so frustrated because all these thoughts were whizzing around in his head, these debates and definitions of prayer. And one night he's in the library and he thinks, this is no good. I don't think one book can cover the intricacies of prayer. And he says he had this moment that he can't really explain or understand fully where he saw in his spirit the heart of God. And he said the heart of God was like an open wound. And he heard, not audibly, but in himself, God say to him, tell my children my heart is hurting because I just want them to come home. And that their busyness, their preoccupation, is keeping them back from the intimacy that I'm inviting them into. The bread that's kept in the most holy place is called the bread of the presence. And I want to invite you tonight, through Jesus' sacrifice, because your sin is torn apart and taken away, because the way is open to come to come home and to know the intimacy. As soon as I read that passage, I found this homesick kind of hunger. And When I rang my friend, he said, yeah, that that stirred it in me. And maybe even hearing that, that's stirring it in some of you just to be in that place of intimacy, of closeness with God. That's why Jesus died, so that the veil could be torn, so you could come right in. In a moment, we're going to break this bread together. But before we do, let me just read this passage from Hebrews for us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, no Jew would write this, the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere hearts, with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And so we come to the bread of his presence. We want everybody to feel invited and included tonight. So uh, the bread in the middle is for those who have any sort of gluten intolerance. Please uh, feast on that. 
In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come through the curtain and to sit and to feast with Jesus. Because this meal is not just a remembrance, it's a rendezvous. It's where he's promised to meet us in broken bread, that we might recognize him in poured out wine. So we remember that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when they'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take this and eat it, all of you, in remembrance of me. For this is my body, which is broken for you. And as you see the broken bread, be reminded of a torn curtain, a new and living way into the very heart of God. In the same way, after they'd eaten together, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, a new relationship, a a new agreement, a new understanding. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me, a blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, to pay a debt that we could not pay. Come and drink, come and feast, come and remember and meet with Jesus. The Jews, when they gather for the Passover, have a simple tradition. The youngest person there asks a series of four questions of the oldest person. And each of the four questions starts with the words, why is this night different from any other night? And there's a slightly different answer each time, but basically the words come back, because once we were slaves, and now we are free. That's why this night is different from every other night. Once we were slaves, but now we are free. Come as and when you're ready to eat, to drink, to remember the Jesus who bought our freedom with his blood.